Father God, we thank you for this great morning and just uh, those words and all that we do and say and think we want to honor you. We want to bring glory to your name. God, we trust that um, you have some work, some business that you want to do in our hearts, and we want to present ourselves humbly before you, knowing that as we turn to your word, that it transforms us, that it's alive, and Lord, we look forward to that. What is it that you have for us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. How was everybody this morning? Woo! Anybody else misplaced spring? Kind of skipped right over that, didn't we? We are in a brand new series this morning. I'm super excited about it. And it's called The Nine or The Fruit of the Spirit. And the children's ministry has worked really, really hard in developing some resources for families for the purpose of at-home discipleship. And of course, the resources can be used by anyone, individuals, couples, kids of all ages, families. But the idea is this, is to get people talking about um, what they hear on Sunday morning, get them talking about it on Monday through Saturday around the dinner table, on the way to a ball game or what have you, just so we're all kind of uh, talking about the same thing and being challenged by the same thing. We have available a kid's sermon guide to be used during the service, and it's kind of a fun guide. Um, I guess adults could use this too, draw a picture of a work of the flesh, that kind of thing. Um, what is the big word you heard this morning? List three things, that kind of thing. So, so kids, if you didn't grab one of these on the way in, we encourage everyone to have one of these. So if you need one of these, um, slip a hand up. We've got some ushers who have them. Or if you need one of these summer at home guides too, I think they can bring you one of those. But if you need one of these, especially slip a hand up and they'll bring you one. So if you need a sermon guide to follow along and uh, to get some things out of it as well. We're going to be in a couple of places this morning. First of all, in Galatians 5, 16 through 23. And then at the end, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, which is known as the love chapter. So if you're following along in version or however you're following along, we encourage you to turn there. To fully understand and to fully grasp the fruit of the Spirit as more than character pillars, like you might see if you went into a school, you'd see all these character pillars in a hallway maybe. I think in order to understand this, we first have to understand verses 16 through 21, and these are really important verses because Paul kind of sets up the fruit of the Spirit. So first of all, I want to talk about the old way, which is called the works of the flesh. And he says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and there's one I won't mention with kids in the room, you can read it uh, on your own, uh, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The works of the flesh that Paul's setting up um, are kind of obvious. They're evident things that stand out. But how obvious? The works of the flesh will be kind of in complete contrast to the works of the Spirit that we'll talk about in a minute, and the fruit of the Spirit. But the more that you pursue the work of the Spirit in your life, the easier it will be to identify the works of the flesh. They'll stand out. They'll become night and day. They're arch enemies. 
So Paul starts by, by his teaching on the Spirit by saying this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not, not gratify the desires of the flesh. One of the keys to understanding what it means to walk in the Spirit is to understand what it doesn't mean. Because the Spirit and the flesh oppose one another, Paul says, here are some of the things, here are some of the indicators that are obvious, that are evident of a person who's walking in the flesh, who's the works of the flesh. And I will say, these are not of God. These things are of the world and chased through the flesh. And he gives this list of things. He says sexual immorality is one of them. The word, the idea here is pornea, where we get our word pornography. It's kind of this, this catch-all category related to sexual indulgence, depravity, perversion, all the things that are kind of outside of God's design. He goes on, he says impurity, which means moral filthiness. Debauchery. So kids, on your outline, you're following along, you're, like, you're supposed to hear a big word, maybe you don't know, there's one for you. Debauchery, you can write that down. And if you don't know how to spell that, um, just lean over to mom and dad or whoever's next to you and say, how do you spell that? And there's a good chance they won't know how to spell it either. So, um, but it could be sensuality. Sometimes that's used in one of the translations. And the idea here is living life to please the senses. Whatever feels good, think of it that way. Whatever feels good. And it describes a person who's living to please self through what can be tasted, seen, heard, and felt. A complete fleshly experience that, that is annoyed by the spiritual life. Think of it like that, like a little brother or sister who sometimes annoys a teenage brother or sister, that, that kind of annoyance. It goes on, he says, idolatry is another one. Here's another marker of somebody of the works of the flesh. It means money, power, pleasure, plans. It involves anything that we're chasing after that might replace our, our worship of God. Witchcraft and sorcery, which, by the way, is on the rise. Again, witchcraft and sorcery has a connection with drugs and the idea of a heightened spiritual awareness, particularly in the demonic realm. And he goes on. He says, here's some more works of the flesh. These might be things that are more familiar or he goes on to talk about hatred or discord, uh, what we might call drama, jealousy, what I have is not enough. These are all works of the flesh. And then he gives this whole category of words or phrases. He says, fits of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions. And all those things are kind of similar. They all kind of fall together or similar because they kind of describe uh, an us and them. They, they describe two sides where maybe they're throwing rocks at each other. Here is what I think and want you to think is wrong. Is that, is, that's the concept. Here's what I think and what I think, what you think is wrong. And it's this back and forth. And it seems like we've had a lot of that. And then there's envy, he says, refusing to be happy when someone else prospers. Or drunkenness, that needs no explanation. And the last one, again, I won't mention because the kid's in the room. Verse 21, the second part. Those who live for the flesh... Those whose whole goal is to satisfy the flesh. He's not talking about people here who stumble into the flesh on occasion when we're in our weakest moments. He's talking about people who have made a conscious decision to live in the flesh. 
who are knowingly living in the flesh, who are deliberately taking part. He's not saying that a person who has lived that way cannot be saved. He's not saying, hey, if you have one of these things in your life or if you've had one of these things in your life that you cannot be saved. After all, that's what salvation is. It's a rescuing from ourselves. It's turning away from us acting as our own God and surrendering to the one and only God. So Paul gives these kinds of lists in some other letters. He writes about these things in other places, and they're similar, but he mentions other things. But I love the hope in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul gives a similar list, and he lists them out. You can read them, but with the same outcome. But he goes on to say, with hope, that is what some of you were. Past tense. That's what some of you used to be. And he goes on to say, with hope, that's where you used to live. But you, believer, you were washed. You've been sanctified. You changed addresses. You moved. It doesn't mean that you won't stumble. It doesn't mean that you won't get in the car, so to speak, and drive past your old address. But you don't live there anymore. You as a believer are a citizen of heaven. And the reason for verses 16 through 21, why they're so important is because they remind us of our desperate need for a new way, a new life, a way to resist the cravings of the flesh. So having the works of the flesh in the backdrop that we've just talked about helps us to make way more sense of the fruit of the Spirit because it helps us to see our desperate need for change. So let's talk about the new way, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Before we look at the first fruit, which is called love, let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit as a whole. So I want you to just think about the whole thing now. You will hear uh, many refer to Galatians 5, and 23 as the fruits of the Spirit. Have you ever heard that? Fruits of the Spirit. Removing the S at the end of the word fruits helps us to better understand their origin and purpose. To call them fruits of the Spirit suggests that they are independent and that they stand alone. So we have love, and then we have joy, and then we have peace, and we have patience, kindness, goodness, that they're all standalone. If we just pick one of the nine and say, I need to be more patient, I need to be a, a more patient person, and then work really hard to become more patient, then we're doing it from the flesh because we have separated out that which was never intended to be exclusive. Fruit of the Spirit tells us that they cannot be separated and that the Holy Spirit develops them all at the same time in us. They are a package deal. It grows natural. As you abide in the vine, as you yield to the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit develops the fruit of the Spirit, he doesn't develop self-control without kindness or patience without love. 
They're all happening at the same time because it's one fruit. It's one fruit with nine effects. So if it was a commercial, if you eat this fruit, you will have nine healthy benefits. Think of it like that. In contrast, the works of the flesh are all about actions. It's about what we do on the outside, how we live, how we behave, sensuality, idolatry, uh, hatred, adultery. But the fruit of the Spirit is all about attitude. The Holy Spirit will work on your attitude more than your actions. Because our actions are the face of our attitude. Any of us can temporarily modify our actions without changing our attitude. But you cannot change your actions without first dealing with the attitude that drives your actions. So you could temporarily modify them. You, you, you can temporarily modify from the flesh, but genuine change has to come from the spirit. This is true of so many areas of life. We could try really hard to do better, but if we never deal with the attitude, if we never deal with the motivation behind it, we will never really change. It'll be fake and it won't last very long. It's kind of like, um, you know, we get caught in sin patterns and every one of us probably can immediately think of something that we get caught in and it's just regular for us and we have a hard time, we do battle, we battle with this. And we try really hard and, and, and then we do really well for a while and then we fall back into it again. And, and part of that is because oftentimes we try to do battle of the works of the flesh in the flesh and not through the spirit where the spirit is changing us. Well, so what? Call them fruits, call them fruit. Why does it even matter? It matters because it points to a source. It matters because it determines their purpose and impact. What is the purpose of the fruit of the Spirit? What if it's not about us? What if it's not even about the people that we interact with? What if the fruit of the Spirit is about God and His character? What if the expression of the fruit of the Spirit is a way to tell God's story? What if the fruit of the Spirit is like painting a picture and we have a paintbrush and, and every, every brush stroke that we make is, is revealing the depth of God little by little and it's forming not only our theology but other people's theology of who God is. The fruit of the Spirit puts God on full display. Think of it this way. It reveals God's love, God's joy, God's peace, God's patience, God's kindness, God's gentleness, God's faithfulness, God's self-control. Once we understand the fruit of the Spirit and how it's developed in us, we become more keenly aware of what is of the flesh and what is of the Spirit. We begin to recognize them more. So here's something for you. We're quick to think that the fruit of the Spirit is for everyone else. We grow in love so that we can love better. We grow in patience so we can be more patient with other people. We grow in kindness so others can feel appreciated and special. Kind of like we work at this fruit stand, so to speak, and people come by and they interact with us and we give them a piece of fruit that we've been working on to develop. But hold on just for a second. How does verse 22 begin? 
This is really important. The fruit of the Spirit. So whose fruit is it? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not even our fruit. It's the Spirit's fruit. And it's for us to eat first. The fruit of the Spirit is our spiritual diet. You can think of it like that. It's what's for dinner. If we do not eat first of this fruit, we will have nothing to give. It does not begin, the fruit of Andy is, or you fill in the blank. Where do you go to get this fruit? It's to a restaurant that I call the vine. John 15, five gives us the answer. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, everything you do will be works of the flesh. It's an invitation for us to come and to eat all the fruit that we want. You are, you are what you eat. You've heard that statement. If you do not make reservations at the vine, you will not only crave the flesh, but you will also often revert to the ways of the flesh. So, so far we've learned that the fruit of the Spirit is in opposition to the works of the flesh. We've learned that the fruit of the Spirit is singular, not plural. We have learned that the fruit of the Spirit is not about actions as much as it is about attitude. We have learned that the fruit of the Spirit is not as much about us or others, but more about God revealing himself. We have learned that unless we eat of the fruit of the Spirit first, we can only offer the works of the flesh, even if they appear to be good. We can love from the flesh, we can be kind from the flesh, but if it's not out of a place of transformation, it's only plastic fruit. It's temporary, it will not last. For a person who has been indwelled with the Spirit, and that's every person who has surrendered their life to Christ and who lives controlled or under the influence of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of God's presence. The fruit of the Spirit is God's mark. The Holy Spirit produces undeniable, unequivocal, undisputable evidence of his work in our lives. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The true test of a believer is the evidence of the Holy Spirit developing within them the fruit of the Spirit. We have learned to judge a Christian's maturity and or seriousness. Like we say, oh, that, that person's really mature in their faith or that person's really serious about their walk with Christ or they're a serious believer. But we've used things to judge that and determine that that are not accurate, that are not fair. And we've used things like church attendance. Wow, that person comes to church every week or at least every other week and, or their willingness to help or, or their personality or their talents or their gifts or their willingness to serve or their willingness to, to speak Christianese, or man, did you see that fish on the back of their car, or that, that cross around their neck? Or we, we use things like they're, they're thinking on moral issues, they're really sharp there, or their ability to defend their faith. I've never met anybody better to defend their faith, all of which are great and important things. Don't get me wrong, those are all important things. However, they cannot 
and do not determine a person's walk with Christ or, or, or their, how deep they are in their faith. The only true, sure, proof, test of another person's salvation and spiritual growth is the evidence and the presence of the Holy Spirit working within them to develop the fruit of the Spirit, period. It's the only thing. Becoming a good person can be accomplished in the flesh. We can train ourselves to think better and behave better. The Christian life is not about being good. It's about being godly. God does not want to make you good. He wants to make you godly. Because goodness is about you. Godliness is about him. Goodness is external and godliness is internal. So the Holy Spirit's job is not to change your physical life the way that you live in hopes that it will affect your spiritual life. His role is to change your spiritual life knowing that it will affect your physical life. Because the physical never affects the spiritual, but the spiritual always affects the physical. Niceties, the way we live, point to us. Fruit points to him. And here's the beautiful thing. All nine of them point to the gospel. Imagine a world with no fruit of the Spirit. It would be filled with hate. There'd be no grace, no forgiveness. Everyone would experience a constant inner storm we would be mean, evil, harsh, inconsistent, not dependable, out of control, just the opposite. I don't know about you guys, uh, and I showed this in the first service, but it just seems like every day it's intensifying that more and more people are just living on the edge. Have you, are you experiencing that at all? Like, like um, I like to watch sports and I'll check ESPN and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and it's, it's crazy how often you can turn even sports on now, and it seems like every day there's something new with uh, two fans got in a fight in the stands, or, or a player got in a fight uh, with a stand, uh, with a fan that came out of the stand, you know, just all this intensity. It's like everybody's just like living right on the edge and ready to explode. That's a world where there's no fruit of the Spirit. Enough about understanding the fruit of the Spirit as a whole. And though they are one, one fruit, I want to dissect them and look at each piece. The first one is love. Love is the capstone. If it were the fruits of the Spirit, you could remove love as just one of nine, and the rest of the fruits of the Spirit would be limited. If it were the fruits of the Spirit. But again, just another reason to remember that they are one inseparable fruit. Agape love is unconditional love allowing us to, to, to view and to receive and to serve a person for who they are, not what they can offer us. Love is the opposite of fear. We know that from Scripture and does not self-protect. It is counterfeit when the root of love has many selfish motivations. But before we can jump in and answer questions like what is love and how do we love others, let's not too quickly forget the importance of allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us and remind us of the love that God has for us. Where do we learn that? Where do we receive that? 
at the vine. It's impossible for genuine love that you have for others to exceed the fruit of love that you have tasted from the Holy Spirit. It cannot be so. The Holy Spirit allows us to taste of God's love. There's a song, the love that chases you down, that fights until you're found. Love is everything we cannot produce. It's true, it's pure, it's authentic, it's genuine. Understanding and responding to the gospel is the key to the Holy Spirit developing the fruit of love in us. Can I encourage you to revisit the gospel often? You've heard maybe the phrase, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Not because you can be saved every day or every other day, or because I believe once you've surrendered your life to Christ and you've asked for the forgiveness of sin, and you've asked um, the Holy Spirit to come in and dwell you, and you've received him as your savior, that's one time. But to revisit the gospel, to be reminded of the gospel and the truth of the gospel, of who we were and what Christ did in our place, is life-changing. The more we understand the depth of what Christ accomplished on the cross, because of God's love for us, the more we understand that, the more we remain open and affected by the love of God. I'm going to read here um, in just a second, 1 John 4, verses 9 through 12, I think gives us a little bit of a definition of this love that I'm talking about. But for us to better understand and unpack what love is, this, this one part of the fruit of the Spirit um, this, this one piece. Uh, in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to invite some, some children here up on stage. I don't know who they are. They don't even know who they are yet. So in just a minute, I'm going to have maybe five, six, seven uh, children up here on stage, you know, kindergarten to sixth grade, somewhere in that area. And I'm going to have them help us understand what love is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So, so kids, uh, be preparing yourself. If you want to be one of those kids here in just a minute, um, I'm going to have you come up, and I've got a microphone, and I'm not going to make you answer questions, but if you feel like, hey, I know the answer to that, I want to give a shot at that. Right now, uh, parents' anxiety is going through the roof, and you're thinking, oh, please, Lord, don't let my kid go up there, because <laughs> I never know what he's going to say, you know, but here's the deal. We've got somebody on the soundboard who's got their finger on the mute button, just in case things get out of control and wild, they're going to mute your kid, so... Um, it went great first service. Somebody said, man, that was really risky. And I said, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, they, they had some great answers. I mean, so, some of the kids are just, I mean, unbelievable. So here we go. So get ready, kids, because you're going to come up here in just a second. First John 4, 9 through 12 gives us part of the answer. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Why is the fruit of love so important? 
Because we cannot truly love until we are truly loved. We cannot give what we do not know, what we do not have, have not experienced, or refuse to believe. Whoa! Hey, how about, can you guys come up here? Get really close, because we want the camera to see you. Come on up. All right. Good job. Thanks for being brave and coming up here. And we still got them coming. All right. So uh, we're going to put up on screen, and you guys can't look at the screen, okay? Because that's the answers, and this is for adults. They need help. So we're going to put the answers up here on the screen, and I'm going to ask you questions because in 1 Corinthians 13, it's called the love chapter, and it says love is this, love is this, love is this, and I'm hoping you can help all, me and all of us kind of understand what is love. So I'm going to start with the very first question, okay? And the very first question is really simple. It's this. What is love? Oh, wait. Say your name and then, and then give us the answer. Faithfulness. That's a great answer. My name is Caleb, and I think love is truth. Like truth? You tell the truth. Oh, all right. Good. Those are great. Anybody else? Everybody over here is kind of moving away. Uh, I believe in God. Yeah, great. My name is Olivia. And love is kindness. Kindness. Oh, you guys are sharp, right? Okay, so there's different characteristics of love that we're looking at this morning, right? And it goes like this. Love is patient. What does it mean to be patient? You have an answer? No? Okay, sorry. Um, it's like not being, um, being not patient is like, not waiting and... Good. That's great. Awesome. Okay. Being patient is you give people time. You don't rush people. Oh, really good. Are they, are they getting close, guys, according to the definitions? Yeah. Put that up there a second. What is it? Love waits. That's what it means, right? You have one? Uh, waiting is like... Being patient for like, if you're going to a swim school, you want to wait until it's your turn. Very good. Even gave it an illustration as an example. Love is kind. What does it mean to be kind? Anybody? Take a guess at it. Anybody who hasn't answered? Love is kind. Like giving people stuff that you don't want. <laughs> that you don't want? That's really good. Can I have your sandals? No, you want those. All right. Love is um, patient. Kindness. Love is kind. Kindness is like letting someone go in front of you in a line. Great. How about this one? This one you guys are going to really get. Okay. Love does not boast. And here's what I want you to do. Can you guys flex like me? Like you got to face, face the audience and just flex. Like show me your muscles. Okay. Really good. Right. Because that, that's what it means. So here's what it means. It does not boast. It does not flex its muscles. In other words, it's not, you know. You know, when, I, I, when my kids were growing up, I used to do this. I said, you know what that is? What is that? You guys know what that is? That's Andy's Mountains. And I say to my kids, you ever been to Andy's Mountains? They're like, no, Dad. My, my dad always said, oh, what's your dad say? My 
My dad always said, welcome to the gun show. Where's your dad at? Uh, I think he's over there. Right over in this area? Right back there? Yeah. All right, everybody's pointing at him. Let's see the guns there, big guy. <laughs> there they are. Oh, that was really good. Uh, what else do your parents say? Oh, let's just go there. I mean, what? No. No, okay. You guys did a really good job. Can we thank them for being up here? Good job, guys. You guys can be seated. Hopefully we learned something about the characteristics of love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, this great morning and thank you, Lord, for your word and just um, this idea of works in the flesh and, and uh, how the scripture sets that up and reminds us that those are things of old and, and then the fruit of the spirit and it's what you want to accomplish in our lives and the transformation that's taking place in us. But the only way that can happen is when we... Um, eat at the vine, when the nourishment comes from there, through Jesus, through your word, and as you transform us, Lord, that, that your character will be revealed through us. In Jesus' name, amen.